For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Harris. I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. I'm excited to be here. We are actually wrapping up a three-part series called Be, Become, Do. Be, Become, Do. Uh, This series is really about our core value, pursuing Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus because after all, that's what life is as a Christian, is all about. It's about pursuing Jesus. Jesus is the point. There's an old Sunday school joke. Uh, You know, anytime that there's a question, the answer is always what? Jesus! You know, uh, so, but in this case, that's actually the truth. That's really true. The answer is Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus, but our pursuit of Jesus also gives direction to how we get where we want to go. We want pursuit of Jesus to inform what we do and how we do what we do. So here's, uh, here's the value, which is also the big idea for our series. Because we want to know Jesus, we study scripture, we pray, we passionately worship, and here's the key. We seek to develop our character and lives in his image. All of those things that we listed before are all about developing our lives and our character in the image of the one we're pursuing. In other words, becoming like him. How do we do that though? How do we do that? We've, we've, we've asked this question already and you know we've looked at the possibility of being able to just do some morning devotions and then go about our day right? Forgetting everything that we've, we've done that morning. And so we just live life the way we want to live life, ignoring Jesus. Is that really the pursuit of Jesus? No. Is, is pursuing Jesus stacking enough of the right things on top of each other? You know, where you're doing all of the right things, you're giving all of the right answers, you're doing the right activities, all of that. Is that pursuing Jesus? we've got to do some right things, but I don't think that's the sum total of pursuing Jesus. Is pursuing Jesus about refraining from getting involved in the bad stuff? You you fill in the blank for the bad stuff, right? We can see it all around us. Do we just stay away from the bad stuff? Is that pursuit of Jesus? I think it's a really good idea to avoid bad things. We're actually told to flee from sin and all kinds of things. So that, that's good, but that in and of itself is not pursuit of Jesus. How do we pursue Jesus? What does that look like? To help us answer that question, we broke this down into a three-part process. Be, become, and do. Be with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus, so then we can begin to do the things that Jesus did and does. He still does, okay? Now, so far, we've talked about the be and the become parts. We looked at how pursuing Jesus means we need to be with Jesus so that our character can become like Jesus. And this means that we find our lives only in him. Jesus is the only source for our lives. Nothing else, if we're going to really pursue Jesus, nothing else can be the source of our life. So then we begin to hear what he says and we practice what he tells us to do. 
so that our character begins to be shaped and formed into his image. Now, if you've missed either of the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to go to our website, ccpuallup.com. You can click on the sermon podcast link and get caught up. It'd be great for you to do that. Um, Today, we're going to wrap up, like I said, by talking about the do part. We're going to talk about what it means to do what Jesus did. So here's the main thing. If you're taking notes, there's a little blank on there. You can fill this in. To pursue Jesus, we must do what he did. To pursue Jesus, we must do what he did. I remember being a kid and having chores. Anybody else have chores as as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Avery's answering. One of my chores during the wet, cold months growing up in the Eugene area was to take care of the firewood. That meant I had to chop it. I had to haul it up to the porch. I had to stack it. Now, hauling it up to the porch was a little bit of a chore in of, it, of itself because we didn't have a wheelbarrow. So I, had, I got one of those old plastic tall trash cans and I would stuff this thing as full as I could get it and then I would drag it across the front yard up to the porch so that I could then dump it out and, and stack it. So I had to use my head a little bit there. But by and large, this particular activity didn't take a lot of brain power. It was a lot more muscle and stamina, right? You're chopping wood, you're moving wood, you're doing all that kind of thing. I cannot tell you how often my dad actually came to me and said, told, told me how I needed to do this. How to accomplish chopping and stacking and making sure that the wood was up on the porch. And I'm thinking, Dad, don't you trust me to get this done? Has anybody here ever experienced anything like that? Maybe not from a parent. Maybe it's been a a boss micromanaging you. Or maybe you've been in a project with a coworker and they just can't seem to let go enough because they just don't trust you enough with, with what needs to happen, even though you're plenty smart. Anybody else here ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. How many people here like that? Look around, nobody does, right? I mean, it, it's no fun to have somebody looking over your shoulder telling you what you're doing wrong or how you need to do it better, even though you know you can accomplish what's in front of you. That is not God, okay? God is not the person looking over your shoulder telling you, hey, you missed a spot. When we talk about doing the things that Jesus did, you need to get that picture out of, completely out of your mind. Okay? Because God is not the person who's sitting there pointing every mistake that you make and telling you, hey, you didn't get this just right. I need to tell you again how to do this. That's not God. The doing we're talking about this morning is all about us being unleashed into the vocation, the way of life that we have been created for, okay? Everything God has intended us to be and to do. The Apostle Paul put it this way. This is Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. He says this, so Christ himself gave If you've got your Bible and you're you're reading along with me, underline that word gave because here's the deal. We need to understand that all of this comes out of God's loving, giving heart. Okay? This is about God giving to us, not about us earning or becoming enough. All right? Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service 
which is, he's talking about a way of life there, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus' desire for us is that we become mature. And if you look at this, this passage that we just read, he gives us what we need in order to become mature. Isn't that good news? Man, pressure is off. I don't have to figure this out on my own. You ever try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? I know we say that all the time, right? I mean, that's, a, that's just a phrase that we use in our culture. But think about it. Have you ever tried to actually pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? It is impossible. <laughs> your feet are already on the ground, right? I can't pull myself up by my... And with my weight, I might actually break my bootstraps trying to do that, Okay. We can't do it. And, and the good news is that we don't have to because Jesus has given us everything we need in order to do this. In 2 Peter, we are told, we are told that God's, God has given us everything by his divine power so that we can actually participate in him in his life, he's given us everything. God wants us to succeed. This is good news. I don't want anybody here to walk away from this thinking you've got to do it better. That you've got to make it happen in your own life. Now, there are some things I think we need to do, but it starts with what God gives us. We do because we have been given we don't manufacture on our own. But how do we get there? How do we get there? We need to engage in doing what Jesus did. What does that look like? Our main passage this morning is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you, are, or if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open up there. We are going to read that whole passage. It's not very long. Many of you have probably heard it. It is referred to as the Great what? Commission. It is the Great Commission. So I'm going to read out of the NIV, and here's, here's what it says. Matthew 28, picking up in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I get that. I can understand that. I might be one of those guys. It's like, is this really you? People don't usually just come back from the dead, you know. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, this passage has been used an awful lot to bring comfort to people, and that's appropriate. It should. I mean, Jesus wraps the whole thing up by saying, hey, guess what? I'm always with you. I don't know about you, but there's just something about having somebody with me when I'm going through a hard time that it, it encourages me. Just their mere presence. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to accomplish anything. But if they're standing there with me, then it's like, man, I can do this. I, 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 I can actually go through this, right? Now think about it. Jesus is with us. He promises to always be with us. The very last thing he says to us in the gospel of Matthew is, oh yeah, by the way, I'm always with you. That's good news. That's good news. But we can also see within the context of this passage and the events that are being talked about and the words that Jesus, that he says, about how to go about doing what Jesus did. So number one, if you're taking notes, number one on your outline. To do what Jesus did, we must embrace the cross. To do what Jesus did, we must embrace the cross. My beautiful bride, Jessica, up until Caleb was about, my son Caleb was about three years old, cut his hair. Oh boy. That was an ordeal. Every single time. You see, something about my son Caleb is that he is very ticklish, okay? And he's also very cautious. This kid, he can, he can smell pain coming from a mile away. And sometimes he kind of makes it up in his, his own mind, right? And so anytime you get the clippers out, he's already ticklish, so he's kind of doing this thing as you're trying to cut his hair. But then he's also trying to dodge them because he's afraid it's going to hurt. And no amount of bribing or begging or threatening or anything else that you can think of would possibly get this kid to sit still. And it, what should have taken maybe 15 or 20 minutes would take an hour every single time. I have to admit, there have been a number of times in my life where I've behaved that way in the middle of a crisis or a trial because I don't want to experience pain. Anybody here like experiencing pain? Yeah, nobody. Nobody enjoys that, right? We've all done that. We fuss, we avoid, we hide, and we do whatever else we can to keep from going through whatever the hard thing is that we have to face. It's why we avoid conflicts in our relationships because we don't want to deal with the hard thing. But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, the only way to the good comes through the hard. The only way to the good comes through the hard, the difficult, the painful. When Jesus said he'd been given all authority, you've got to remember he had just been crucified. He's risen from the dead, but he had gone through the cross. He didn't give, get up one day and all of a sudden just be handed a crown and a title. That'd be nice if life worked that way, right? Hey, you don't have to earn it. I'm just going to give it to you. 
But that's not the way Jesus was given all authority. Now, if we read earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the devil trying to give Jesus something like that, some cheaper version of it, back in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And the devil says, all you have to do is bow down to me and I'll give you all of this stuff. And Jesus says, no. And instead, he goes to the cross and he receives it from the Father (laughs) because he went to the cross. He had to go to the cross. Jesus embraced the cross. And if we are going to do what Jesus did, we also have to embrace the cross. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us to embrace the cross? Two things. First of all, we need to confess. We need to admit what it is that stands in between us and fully following Jesus. I don't need to see a show of hands. I'm not, gonna, I'm not calling anybody out. But I know that for every single one of us in this room, because we are here on planet Earth, there is something that gets in between us and Jesus. We do that. We do that. We need to admit it. We need to confess it. The other thing we need to do is we need to walk. We need to move forward in self-sacrificial love. Now, confession, let's, I want to I demystify some confession here. In, in our culture, a lot of times the way conf, what confession looks like is that somebody will come to you and say, hey, here I am, me and all of my warts and flaws and everything, like me the way I am or leave me. There's no change that's involved in it. It's just, here I am, love me or leave me. That is not confession. That's called arrogance, Okay. That's not confession. But confession also is not about letting God in on a dirty little secret that he was unaware of before. We don't confess in order to make God aware of our issues. I remember the time I was with a friend. I had him staying over. And we snuck out in the middle of the night. This was easy to do in a small town. Uh, no police force in the town. So, you know, if you snuck out, you probably weren't going to get caught. Um, I do not recommend this. But this particular night, my friend and I, when we snuck out, we didn't just sneak out of the house and go wander around. We got into some trouble. We, we took some eggs with us. Not funny, Lindsay. This is not funny. Well, I can kind of laugh about it now. We went down to a certain building in our town and uh, we proceeded to throw eggs at this building. Not because we weren't feeling malicious toward them particularly. It was just something to do. We were bored and we thought it would be cool. I have this very highly developed sense of guilt in my life that when I do wrong things, it eats at me. I lose sleep. I, I, I have tummy troubles. I, I, there, I just, I'm, I'm sure that life is going to be horribly wrong for the rest of my life. And so after this happened, I actually went, I, I wasn't caught. Nobody knew that we had done it. I just had to confess. I was like, oh, dad, I went and threw some eggs last night at this particular building. And, uh, 
Well, it was the Kingdom Hall. It was the Kingdom Hall in Lowell. Um, now my dirty secret's out. Um, and my dad was like, oh, good grief. Of all the buildings you had to throw eggs at, it had to be that one. Um, and, and so what he did was he took me and my friend down to the Kingdom Hall. They were getting done with their walking around town thing and uh, sharing you know, their, their stuff. And they were coming back and we had to confess to them what we had done. And so I spent, oh, I don't know, it was 45 minutes or so, scraping egg, our eggs and other people's eggs, by the way, not just mine, off of that building. Now, my confession did two things for me. First of all, it did unburden me of guilt. When you confess something, you are actually shining the light into a dark place, right? You ever experienced this? You confess to it, and so now the darkness, the sin, whatever it was, it doesn't have a hold. It doesn't have the power. It doesn't have that, that secret of, oh, you're so bad, hanging on to you anymore, right? It, it, it unburdened me of my guilt. But the second thing my confession did was that it encouraged me to never, ever throw an egg at a building again. It encouraged me to live life differently. That's, that's, that's the goal of confession. It's not to let God in on a dirty secret or to say in front of other people, hey, you got to like me or love or leave me the way that I am. It's about becoming a different kind of person. To embrace the cross, we need to confess what keeps us from fully following Jesus. God already knows what gets in the way. He knows it. He's not surprised by it. Sometimes we simply need to identify it so that we can give it to God and begin to do something else. When we confess it, it doesn't have the power. And so we're able to move on. But the other thing I talked about, walking, we need to move forward in self-sacrificial love. This means... We choose to lay our wants, wishes, and preferences down for others. We give of ourselves. That's what Jesus did. Now, most of us are not going to be called to literally die for other people. We could. That's a possibility. We could. But chances are that's not going to be the case. Every one of us in this room will, however, be required to put the good of others above our own. If you are going to be part of Celebration Center, you are going to, at some point, need to put the, the, the good of others above yourself. If you have a family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. By the time... Uh, we, we, my wife and I got our daughter, Abigail. She was already sleeping all the way through the night. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's, that was so good. Because our experience with our son, Caleb, was something completely different. You see, when we got him, we got him from birth, and he had his nights and his days mixed up. And so there was no real sleeping for pretty much anybody in the house. Okay. As a matter of fact, I remember my beautiful bride would actually shoo me into another room on the weeknights so that I could sleep in the guest room, get sleep so I could get up in the morning and go to work while she was the one who was getting up throughout the night with my son, feeding him, comforting him, making sure he had what he needed, and she was getting less sleep during the night. 
That is the way of self-sacrificial love. Seeing somebody else's need and putting that need above our own, even at our own detriment. In order to do what Jesus did, we must embrace the cross by confessing what keeps us from following wholeheartedly. And then we need to walk forward by choosing the way of self-sacrificial love. Maybe for some of us, that choice is what gets, us, gets in between us and Jesus. Because it's not always fun, is it? It's hard. But that's what it means to embrace the cross. We need to do that. Number two on your outline, if you're taking notes, to do what Jesus did, we must embrace the mission. We need to embrace the cross, but we also need to embrace the mission. Oftentimes, I will get up early in the morning and I'll get breakfast going. As I've said before, my, my kids don't typically sleep in. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're, sometimes they're up before me, but usually uh, I'll get up and then very shortly after I'm up, I hear the pitter-patter of not-so-little feet coming down the stairs. And there's my daughter at my side. And she's hanging out with Dad while Dad's making eggs. And we'll make eggs and we'll talk about life and she'll want to stir the eggs and you know, do all of the things. At the end of making the eggs, I will send her out of the kitchen and I'll say, Abby, go to your brother and tell him breakfast is ready. It's time to get the day going. You guys, that's a little bit of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has risen from the dead after his ordeal on the cross. And he's sending his disciples out to let everyone know what has been accomplished. What has changed New creation has dawned. What has, and, and, and he's sending his disciples out to draw people into this work so that they can begin to join in on it. And what's really cool about the way Matthew ends his gospel here is that it feels incomplete. Go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, and I'm going to be with you always. Over. You're like, what? <laughs> what? Isn't, isn't there a little bit more? Yeah, you know what the more is? It's us. We've been brought into this process of making disciples, of being sent out. And so we are continuing the story. We're continuing the work. We're doing what Jesus has done and called us to be involved in. So how do we go about living that way? First of all, we need to commit. We need to commit. We need to affirm through our words and our deeds that Jesus is currently king. I know that there's, there's a lot we got to look forward to. There's a lot wrong in our world. There's a lot that needs to be set right. Let me be absolutely clear with you. The, gospel is, it, the gospels are all in 100% agreement on this. We can read it all throughout Paul and the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is the reigning king king of the world. He is 
presently, now. Yes, there is more to be done. Yes, there is more to be put into order, us included. But he is the ruling king of the world right now. And we need to affirm that through our words, our deeds. And that's called worship. We worship. We go about acting like throughout our lives that he's the king. And then we need to implement. We go about making disciples Jesus' way. We teach them not only what he said, but we teach them how to live the way he lived. To do the actions that he took. Uh, anybody here have an iPhone? Raise your hand. That, that, you can raise your hand. I, I don't know about, uh, I, I have an iPhone also, but I, I, and I'm not sure about Android or Google or some of the others, but Apple has come out with this part of what they put in their, their phones now is this program where you can track your phone usage, your screen time, what it is that you're looking at, how often you're looking at it, the times that you're looking at it, you know, all this kind of stuff. It seems a little bit intrusive. Um, but the, the goal of it is so that people can actually adjust life, right? They can see, oh, I'm, I'm being inefficient here. I'm, I'm doing things, maybe I'm wasting some time over here and in ways that I, I, I should be doing some other things. And so well, I like the idea of this in theory because well-adjusted people can adjust their life, right? I've got to admit, I'm a little bit terrified to turn this particular aspect of my phone on. Because then I can't remain ignorant of the way I'm wasting my time. Anybody else feel the same way? When we're confronted with a change, when we're confronted with information about how we need to do something differently, we become responsible then to live that out. That's what I'm talking about when I say we need to commit that we need to affirm through our words and deeds that Jesus is currently king and so worship him. Having that information, understanding it isn't enough. We're going to be held accountable for that information. And our lives need to line up with that. Now I told you earlier, God gives us everything we need. He gives us everything we need for this life. So we don't have to manufacture it on our own. We simply need to step into it. We need to walk that way. To pursue Jesus by doing what he did, we have to commit to Jesus and his way of life. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He says, what's the cliff notes? What's the most important thing? What do I need to focus on? Jesus replied, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says the way of life that you need to go is to love God with everything you are, everything you have, and to love your neighbor the exact same way. With everything you are, with everything you have. Love God, 
love people. Love God, love people. This is the life we're committing to. This is our act of worship, our love turned outward to God and to others. If we are going to embrace the mission, we have to commit to it. We have to commit to it, but we also need to implement it. I've got to admit, I've got all kinds of really good intentions about some books I want to read for uh, personal growth and even church stuff and you know, really cool stuff. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've also got some good intentions about some projects that need to be done around the house. Let me ask you something. What good are my good intentions if I don't actually begin to implement them? Nothing, right? What's the saying? The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, <laughs> Right? Having good intentions is not enough. We have to implement them. If we are going to do what Jesus did, we have to actually embrace the mission he's given us by doing it. By going. Wherever we go, everywhere we go, testifying through our words and our actions to Jesus' love to the fact that he is raised from the dead, to the fact that he is the current reigning, ruling king of the world. And acting that way, living that out. We won't do it perfectly. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is with us. His, his, his promise to be with us has nothing to do. It's not based on us accomplishing something. His promise to be with us is that we're tied to him, that we are following him, we have been with him so that we could become like him and that we're beginning to do the things that Jesus is doing. And when we do that, he is with us. Always and through everything. What could our church look like if we intentionally pursued Jesus through this be, become, do process? What, what, what would we look like? What would our community look like if we did this? What, what, what could be? What could happen? What kinds of things could change? What could be brought in line with, with God and his rule and his kingdom because we decide to pursue Jesus? I want to have the band come on up. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that your promise to be with us is not predicated on, on us accomplishing good enough and that you don't stand over our shoulder to try to uh, uh, guilt us or, or to bribe us or, or any other thing to get us to do what you want us to do, but you simply, as we're with you, as we invest ourselves in you, you invest yourself in us and you free us to be who and what you have created us to be. God, this process of be, become, do, I pray that you would help us to, to think about this and, and to implement it in the days, the weeks, 
the months and the years ahead so that we can continually live our lives in this place. That through every circumstance, through every trial, through every success and and joy and pain and everything in between, that in all of it, God, we would be pursuing you, that your kingdom would be coming on earth in and through us as it is in heaven. God, thank you that you give us what we need. Help us in this process to rely on you, to trust you in all things, in all ways, for all things. God, we love you. Maybe you're here and you haven't yet started your life as a Christ follower, but you want to do that. You like the idea of this loving, generous God who gives rather than, than, than the taskmaster picture that so often we, we have in our culture and maybe sometimes in, in different places that we've grown up with our parents or maybe even in, in, in church. We, we got this picture. God is the God of grace and he is the God of love and he doesn't require of us what he doesn't equip us for. And maybe you want to join in on that. I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it your own. God, here I am. Make me your child. I want to be in your family. I want to live the life that we're talking about here. Give me you. I give you all of me. Father, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, I ask that you would just pour your peace into them right now. God, that they would experience the gift of your love, of your presence, of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you all stand with me? We're going to sing a last song here, and I want you just to make this a declaration. You don't have to have everything all figured out. You don't have to have everything all lined up or do everything all perfectly. All I'm asking of you is that you sign on to pursue Jesus. Let's sing the song together, and then I'll come back up. God, thank you. Thank you that you give us the very breath that we need, that that we don't have to bring anything ourselves, but you give us what we need. Thank you. Help us to live this week pursuing you in all things and in all ways, being with you so that we can become like you, so that we can be unleashed, God, to do what you have called us and created us to do. And let our lives as individuals and as a community be turned outward toward you and to the community around us, God, proclaiming your greatness, your goodness. God, 
Let heaven come to earth. Let your kingdom, your will be done here and now as it is in heaven, we pray. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here. If you need prayer, I'm happy to pray with you. If you need to talk about something, I'm happy to talk with you. Let's go this week pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. Thanks for being here. We'll see you guys next week.